0: And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, let me just give you a little bit of, uh, uh, anyone here not been to any of the previous Pilgrim's Progress? Everybody's been to some. All right, I'll bring you kind of into the loop here in the next couple of moments. Uh, if you look in First Peter chapter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. Everyone say pilgrims. pilgrims. Now, what did we learn that word pilgrim means? Say it out loud, Patsy. Temporary residents. And what we see here, and, and what, and it says, pilgrims of the dispersion. Now who these were were Jewish believers who had been come under persecution in Jerusalem and were scattered. Everybody say scattered. So they were, they were, they, they had in a sense be traumatized. How many of you if you had to leave houses family and lands and flee to another land uh in you know just out of a uh you know in a in a hurry and leave everything behind that would be a little traumatizing. So that's the kind of the picture we're dealing with and Peter is writing a letter to these believers who have been scattered and are now trying to re- recoup if you will and regather themselves after this traumatizing persecution uh of their day. In fact, uh uh, Peter said in chapter one, he says, this is, uh, you know what, even though you're going through this greatly rejoice. Why? Because this is not your final pl- uh, abode. Amen. Because we're temporary residents. And he says, we have an inheritance. Look in verse four. We have an inheritance, inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Somebody say, amen. And so he comes into uh, these uh, believers' lives, if you will, by way of this letter with an explosion of faith in his heart and an explosion of praise unto God to try to shake them out of their the the doldrums or the trouble or the trauma of their day and move them to a greater perspective. In fact, that kind of leads us to the theme that I, I have given this uh, uh, series, at least through this book, this first letter. It's this, the theme is progressing through this life, into that life, in the face of adversity and pressure. You know, in the days we're living in, we see the church coming under more and more adversity and pressure, and persecution is, is being uh, uh, videotaped and played all over the world. Uh, uh, the, and In fact, I just read about another Large batch of Christians who lost their lives because of their faith in christ jesus, and, and so Peter comes into their lives and he's he's kind of shaking them, if you will, and moving them and getting their perspective and getting their their idea about what was going in their life tuned up a little bit uh, and uh I said this earlier in 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 this series that spiritual progress requires a mental and moral shift from the temporal to the eternal. And that's what he's endeavoring to do with these believers. He said, listen, this temporary circumstance is just temporary. Look at your neighbor and say, it's just temporary. It's all temporary. Amen. Uh, Talise. it's just temporary. I, hey, I don't have one answer for you today as to why you're where you are today in the circumstances of your life. Uh, I, I can't, I can't, I couldn't, I wouldn't dare try to, to say it, but I can tell you one thing that uh, ultimately in the, in the eternal perspective of God, this is all temporary. You see, when we get to heaven, it says there's no more sickness, sorrow, or pain. The former things are passed away because this life is temporary. How many of you know planet Earth is, is terminal? And planet Earth is the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere when it comes to eternity. And so, so Peter's coming along, endeavoring to help them get their... Uh, maybe they were sporting a tood I don't know. If you ever sported a tude, you just realize, Woo, I got bad attitude." Uh, you know, and you know this, your attitude affects your altitude, and your altitude determines your destiny. And and Peter was endeavoring to get these, this church moving forward. Everybody say moving forward. You see he's wanting us to keep moving forward. You see, uh pilgrims are not uh, settlers. They are they're 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 temporary residents. They're on the move, amen. They're they're pressing forward into the destiny of God for their life. Uh and so, we've looked through chapter 1, pretty detailed. Uh we talked about the bigger picture. He kind of gave them the bigger picture about the temporary circumstances of their day. He said the the prophets desired what you guys are experiencing in other words man people before you just dreamed about the day you're living in today this is god's finest hour for the church and you are a part of god's eternal purpose and plan uh and so uh in fact he keeps kind of affirming to them in chapter one and even chapter two you're special you're chosen tell somebody around you you're special You're chosen of God. And so he's getting them moving forward. And so, uh, that's a lot of what chapter one was all about. I'm sure I could stand, I could stick around there even further, but we'll move forward today. In fact, uh, part of chapter one last week, I think, uh, I gave it, uh, kind of the title, uh, a call to action, a pilgrim's call to action, because you know, when, once he kind of jumped on them real strong about the eternal destiny and into eternity and that all this is temporary and that you're going to go through trials and tribulations, uh, then he, then he basically, uh, says this in verse 13, therefore, everybody say, therefore. When you see a therefore, what do you do? You look back and see what the therefore, therefore. And the therefore was therefore the purpose of getting them moving forward into life. And then he starts giving them some, I just call them kind of bullet points of progress. And this was last week. Uh, he said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That means get ready. Somebody say, get ready. Get prepared. Get moving forward. And, and, uh, man, uh, I gave you all seven things that you and I need to do. And that's all last Wednesday night. You can get the, you can get on, on iTunes and you can listen. If you missed last Wednesday night, I think it would be a powerful, uh, building block for you as we continue in this series. And with that in mind, we're going to jump to chapter two. Uh, and, uh, let me just, um, uh, I could spend more time on chapter two, but I kind of looked through it and found kind of a theme for the chapter, and from there, I'm going to give you some insights that'll help you keep moving forward. Look at your neighbor and tell them, we've got to keep pressing forward. Amen. Now, here we go. As we look in chapter two, let me just begin by introducing this chapter with this thought. Pilgrims live an entirely different lifestyle than everybody else. You know, when I was a kid, I remember gypsies. I don't even know if they're still gypsies. But I remember gypsies. They were the nomadic type. They would travel here and there, and they, they didn't have a very good, uh, 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 you know, everybody was scared of the gypsies. But, but, uh, in a sense, that's the way Peter realized we all are. We are temporary residents. We are sojourners. We are not settlers. Uh, we're pressing through into the purpose of God, and we've got to keep pressing forward. Therefore, our lifestyle is different than everybody else. How many of you know when you're always on the move, it's hard to settle? What do, what do settlers do? Settle. What do pioneers do? They just keep pressing forward. They're pioneering new territory. They're moving forward. They never, they're never satisfied with where they are. They're always pressing forward. How many of you want to be a settler? You just want to settle for this. I'll just settle for that. I'll settle here. I'll settle there. We don't need settlers. And that's what Peter's trying to get across to these believers uh, is that, listen, your life on planet Earth, because of who you are, is, is entirely different than everybody else. And you need to realize that. Uh, and so with that in mind, uh, I came up with a theme and I'll show you where I, where I found this in chapter two. I wish I, 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 I want to read the entire chapter, but you read it at home. You follow along. Don't just come here on Wednesday night and say, what's he going to say about Peter? You read the book, get ahead of and say you, Hey, in fact, you read and then say, I wonder what pastor Sam's going to say about that. Okay, and you could email me questions. You could do that. You could text me questions. If I don't know the answer, I'll say, text Josh. He'll know. And if Kobe were here, I'd say, text Kobe. He knows. He'll figure it out or Google it, for goodness sake. Uh, I'm telling you, Bible study is pretty easy these days with all the helpful tools and, and things. And uh, uh, so, hey, but get, get ahead of the game. And so with that in mind, chapter two, I'm going to give it this title, The God Honoring Life. Or a life that honors God. The lifestyle of a pilgrim. And how, how, uh, Peter kind of outlines some insights about how they should be living their life as pilgrims on planet earth. Uh, And, and it's a life and a lifestyle that gives honor, (coughs) pardon me, and glory to God. With that in mind, I want to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to pick verse 11 and 12 as kind of my keynote verse for this. And here it is. It's on the screen. If you didn't bring your Bible, if you didn't bring your Bible, bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'll buy you a Bible. Uh, And so everybody needs a Bible. In fact, my Bible still wore out. I think I'm going to get another one. I'm I'm taping up pages now. Uh, And so, uh, hey, if you need a Bible, let me know. But here's the keynote verse, two verses. It says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims. See, he's addressing this again. Let me stop and say, he's the only guy, other than the writer of Hebrews, who used this kind of language about defining who we are. I think it's important to know. Pil, uh, sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Having your conduct what honorable having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation what's the day of visitation when Jesus is coming back that's my understanding and in fact he's 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 letting them know Jesus is coming again tell somebody else Jesus is coming again He's coming back. He's coming again. I promise you that. And he's saying right here, pilgrims. Everybody say, pilgrim. Let me see if I can get John Wayne's voice here. I don't think. a "Wah, how are you doing there, pilgrim? Uh, that was pretty lousy, so I'll move on. Uh, he's endeavoring to get them to live a life that would honor God, that when, when the, I'll call them the unbelievers the Gentiles, that's everybody that wasn't a Jew. In fact, this is where we know that he was writing to the Jews. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, uh, he said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see by your good works that you observe and glorify God in heaven. Now, this is kind of a, I think, Peter was listening when Jesus was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount because what did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? He said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is kind of the keynote verse here of this chapter, especially in the in the context of this lesson tonight, talking about living a life that honors God as we journey through this life. You see, what's the theme? Uh, moving through this life, progressing through this life, into that life. We're talking about eternity uh, in the face of adversity. And here's what God wants us all to do in this journey. He wants us to get through this life, not just surviving, but thriving and honoring Him through the process. Amen. How many of you, when you get to the end of the line, you know, He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and we stand before Him on the day of visitation. How many of you want to hear Him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? What's he referencing? Our life that we lived here on planet Earth. On Sunday morning, we're going through a class uh, um, uh, called The Life God Rewards. It's why everything in this life matters for all eternity. And if you missed uh, the last couple, jump on board for the last four. Uh, because, man, what a great uh, uh, springboard from here to there and there to here as we learn to live a life that God rewards uh, and, uh, and, and live a life that honors God. So that's what I think Paul's, pardon me, Peter's trying to get across to these people. Hey, how you live life on planet earth is going to affect you for all eternity. And we're all going to stand before him on the day of visitation. And God, hey, I want to stand there having honored God with the life I lived. And so should you and I. And everybody said, amen. Let me show you this theme through this chapter. Let's back up. Look in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Look what he says come and we'll go back to verse one and two in a moment, but looking for I'm just building the theme for you here coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious now stop right there put that in context. Where again? Who were they? They they were nomadic in a sense. They had they were persecuted. They had lost their livelihoods and had had scattered. And he comes to them and he says, "Hey, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men." Yeah, I understand you feel a little sense of rejection. I understand you got issues, but guess what? You're special. Uh and He he goes on. He says he says, "But you're chosen by God and you're precious." Look at your neighbor and say, "You're you're just the most precious thing." Tell somebody. You're just the most precious thing. (laughs) Amen. And then he says this. You also as living stones are being built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to do what? Offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ what's he saying? You've been chosen by God. You're being built together as a spiritual house. And your purpose is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Anybody want to know a a little hint of what those spiritual sacrifices are? How many think God it's not the blood of bulls and goats? No more of that kind of sacrifice. Well, uh, you don't need to slip over there, but I'll slip back there to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, really Hebrews 13. He says in verse 15, therefore by him let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Do not neglect and do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. We see the writer of Hebrews. He's confirming what Peter's writing. He said, listen, a life God rewards is someone who's offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. They're coming to him. In fact, everybody say coming to him. I love this word coming. You know uh, that a lot of my insight just comes from looking up the words and and." this coming to him really the best definition it's not just like i hey i'm coming over there i'll be over in a minute it's not just i'm going to arrive i'm headed in a direction but it it hasn't a purpose attached to it and here's the purpose to draw near for the purpose of worship listen when we come to church listen let's don't just come to church let's come to him when we get up in the morning let's don't just get up and and do our prayers let's Come to Him. In fact, what does uh, Psalm one hundred say? I will enter His gates with what? I will enter His courts with praise. And and so we see Peter. He says, "Listen, this is who you're being built up as." And 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 here's the re. Ooh, put it in the context. Where are they headed? They're headed to heaven. That's what he's trying to get a hold of. Hey, get, get an eternal perspective. Hey, you know what you're doing in this life? You're not just out here suffering for the Lord. You're on a journey. You're coming to him. And you're headed to a place where at, at, at some point when you arrive, your life will be one big explosion of praise and worship to God. So we might as well get going right now. Uh, hey, the God honoring life is a life that is 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 one that is drawing near to Him for the purpose of worship. Sadly, most Christians don't get that deep. Most Christians come to Him for the rent payment, for the for the electric bill, for our needs. Now, how many of you know Jesus taught us to pray for our needs? But if you go. To where he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, it doesn't begin with give us this day our daily bread. What does it begin with? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And how does the prayer end, by the way? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Listen, we need, hey, if you want to honor God with your life? Build your life around the premise that my life should be a one a, a constant praise and worship to God. In fact, look at verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Everybody say, I'm special. special. That you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says, this is who you are. This is how I've created you. The life that honors God. Uh, Hey, it's a worshiping life. And so uh, he just is affirming this this life that honors God, that the life we ought to live is one that honors God. In fact, look in verse 17, look what he says. I love this. You could preach from this uh, one verse here. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Everybody say, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, all those things, you know what they all ultimately do? They honor God. Are you with me? What's he saying? Live a life that is honoring to God. In fact, that word fear God, it's not, oh, oh, I'm afraid of God. It's a, a reverential awe and respect for Him. And so, he's just saying, you got to live a life that honors God. And then finally, verse 20, look in verse 20. Uh, i I'll, I'll I'll jump in the middle of a context. And I'll come back to it in a moment, uh, possibly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, that is commendable before God. Everyone say commendable. Now, without getting into the context, here he's talking to people who have been beaten for good. Are you with me? Not for good, but for doing good. For living a life that, that, uh, you know, and loving God. They were possibly beaten and and persecuted and ran out of town, if you will. And he said, you know what? It's no good if you do it, but, you know, you think, he said, what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? What about when you're doing good and you get persecuted for that and you take it patiently? This is commendable before God. And, and In other words, what's he saying? He says, this is, just, this is what blesses God. This is what gratifies God. How you respond in this moment. Under this pressure. How you respond, are you going to live a life? Are you going to chuck the towel in? Are you going to live a life that honors God in the middle of this pressure moment? God says, this is commendable. This is gratifying to me to see you being able to live a life that honors God even in the face of the pressure and the trouble of your life. And everybody said, amen. In fact, I love, he, he gives us the model to follow because Jesus is the model to follow. And, and let's look back in verse 21. He, uh, he says, for to, for to this you were called. After he, after he says, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ, in other words, here, here, hey, Jesus went down this road and you're going down this road and it's commendable. He says, he says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should what? Follow his steps. Ooh, I can't wait till Sunday. I'm going to have to. It's kind of like Christmas. My, I used to tell my daddy, I can't wait till Christmas. And he said, well, you're going to have to. He always pour a little water on my fire and excitement. Well, you're just going to have to. You're going to have to be patient. Uh, uh, but Sunday, I'm going to begin a series called uh, The Jesus Journey. Everybody say The Jesus Journey. Learning to follow Jesus 24-7. Now, I just, man, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant. Let me just say, all the instances, and in, I'm just going to use the ones in Matthew. There's like five where Jesus told people to follow me. I'm going to give you a head start hint. You want to know a head start hint? I hadn't got it all together yet. You know the commonality of all five biblical references where Jesus said, follow me. You know, the, you know, you know what the common thread of all of them was? Sacrifice. You want to follow me, there's going to be some sacrifice. And he says, hey, listen, you're, you, you just follow his steps. He's already been down this road. You just follow his steps. Everybody say, follow his steps. Woo-hoo. Man, looking forward to that. In fact, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you don't need to turn over there. But it says this. And, and you know what? Even though I don't think it's probably true, but from reading Peter, 1 Peter, and studying 1 Peter, there's so much commonality in the, in the, the Hebrews letter. Uh, I just wonder, well, maybe Peter wrote it. Who knows? I don't know. Probably not. But a, a lot of comparisons. But uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, he says, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to on this journey keep moving forward, we've got to live a life that God uh, that honors God and a life that honors God is one of sacrifice and really a laying down of our lives for the sake of his life. Amen. So, so he's the model to follow. Ooh, that was the intro. See if I got any time for the points. I got a few minutes. Here we go. I'm going to give you five things that I see in chapter two that are that are lifestyles that honor God. Okay, are you with me? Here's the first one. We'll go back to verse one. It's a lifestyle of relational integrity. Everyone say relational integrity. You say, how'd you get that out of verse one of chapter two? Let me read it for you. Therefore, and I'll go back and... Look at what the therefore is there for. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. By and large, all those sins and flaws have to do with interaction with others or relational integrity or the lack thereof. And so we see him in this process. Hey, if you're going to live a life that honors God, you got to live a life that is relationally right and proper and intact uh, with God and with man. He said, you got to lay it aside. Everybody say, lay it aside. That means to put it away and cast off. What he's saying is it's time to clean up our issues with others. And maybe issues with ourself that affects our relationships with others. How many of you know, if you've got anger issues, if you've got malice issues, have you ever met anybody, you just pushed the wrong button? I mean, you didn't do anything wrong to them. You push their button inadvertently and all of a sudden, hurr, you realize, OMG, somebody got an issue, Right? Some of you looking nervous, this nervous laughter, a little nervous laughter there, potentially. Hey, what he's saying here, listen, in this journey, if you're going to live a life that honors God, you got to get this stuff fixed in your life. You can't carry this stuff down the road. You can't bring it into heaven. These issues with others and these issues with yourself, these, 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 this, deceitfulness and hypocrisy and potentially evil uh, envy and evil speaking and how you interact with others we got to clean this stuff up in our life you can't carry this on the journey and listen let me just say if you try to carry this on your journey it's going to be a lonely journey because how many of you know not a lot of people want to go on a trip with this guy are you with me And guess who else doesn't want to go on a journey with this guy? Jesus. And when we get before him, we're going to stand before him and give an account of how we lived our life on planet Earth and the relational issues. It's time we move to a whole new level of relational integrity on every level of our life. And listen, there may be issues that you can't fix, but you can fix it in here. Are you with me? You can fix it in here. Now, let me just pause. How many of you have, have battled these relational issues? All of us on some level or another. Okay? it's it, And it's. I think it's a big thing to God for sure. And, and Peter says, hey, therefore, lay it aside. Put it away. Cast it off. Stop carrying these things with you. These wrong attitudes and these relational issues, you get it fixed. Be a forgiver and forgive. And get your heart right with God and man. Amen. That's the lifestyle of a pilgrim, my friend. They, they don't hold grudges. Amen. Lifestyle of relational integrity. Listen, it's hard to progress in life if you've got anchors hanging all over you. In fact, if we went back to Hebrews twelve one and 2, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the first thing He said... In reference uh, to that, he said, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. Everybody say, lay aside. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What's he saying? You can't carry the weights. You can't carry the anchors with you. You can't carry, and Peter said, you can't carry deceit and hypocrisy and malice and envy and evil speaking on this journey not allowed. Everybody say, lay it aside. So it's a lifestyle of relational integrity. Number two, he, in the second uh, verse, it's a lifestyle of spiritual growth and maturity. Now, I love, I love this. Some things we make too hard. And I know when, when you've been down a road and you've got issues with others and yourself, and they go unchecked and they go undealt with. They get hard to handle. In fact, uh, Paul said it's like a castle or a, or a, a, in your mind, a stronghold in your mind. It's hard to, I understand that. But look, look how black and white Peter is here. He said, laying aside all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and evil, put it down. Oh, and number two, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, lay this down and pick this up. Quit that and do this. And notice the the contrast. Evil speaking, deceitful, hypocrisy, hypocrites, envy, malice. And as a newborn baby (laughs) who has no guile, who has no anger, who has no malice, all they want is what? Milk. <laughs> I want milk. I want food. I want to grow. It's natural. I was with my niece. I'm not calling y'all piggies, but I used to raise pigs. My niece is a farm girl now. She came over to our house the other day and uh, they were raising pigs. And I said, Isn't it amazing how the little pig, when he's born, I said, Yeah, and she said, Yeah, mom doesn't even pay attention to the little pig. She just, out come the little pig she said the little pig it i said isn't it amazing how they know and she said oh yes they just they stand up and they go straight for the milk because they desire it and here's what here's what peter said he said hey lay this down and as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the lord is gracious and so he's saying you've got to have a lifestyle of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity in fact the the word desire means to intensely crave in fact interesting little side note i may be stretching the interpretation here but it preaches and teaches good the 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 primary use of this word other than in this right here throughout the scripture in the new testament when it says desire the primary use is one of relationship like where paul said "I, i greatly desire to see you that i may impart some spiritual gift to you now have you ever been a parted from loved ones and family members for a while and you just you just want to see them so bad you've seen the videos on Facebook where the the dad who's been to the army and the kids at school and all of a sudden they're reunited and it's, Ooh, they haven't seen each other in a while and their desire to see each other is just overwhelming and tears go exploding out of their eyes and that's kind of the word Paul's saying he's the the, the use of it everywhere else is it's about I want to see you man I miss you man look at your neighbor and say I miss you man I gotta I gotta see you I love you i I miss you has anybody ever had those emotions man it's powerful and so could it be that he's saying listen you need to start desiring god's word to the degree like you desire to see your family and friends when they're gone on a journey that you miss them and you want them and you just gotta have a relationship with them. Uh, maybe, maybe the illustration could be you gotta let God's word be, be like your closest friend and family member. He said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Listen, we have to, in fact, He gives the premise here. And then he says this. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, basically what he's saying, if you've ever tasted it, you will desire it. And if you don't desire it, maybe you've never really got a good dose. And oh, it wasn't as easy then as it is today. Think about it. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have the printed page to speak of at all. And it was... You had to really want to study and grow in the word when in this day that Peter is talking about. You had to be absolutely proactive. It had to become the, the focus of your life. It's kind of like in Mexico, in a lot of areas where we drill water, a lot of the focus of their life is just getting enough water for the next day. It's just a part of life, and, and it becomes a big part of their life. And and, and, and I, think, uh, I think Peter's saying, listen, you've got to begin to desire God's word. And if you've ever tasted it, brother, you're going to like it. You know what? Somebody asked me, do you like this kind of ice cream? I said, man, I have. Is it ice cream? It's ice cream. I like it. I've tasted. I've never had bad ice cream. I've never done it. You know, when, you know, my mom would always say, or Beverly would say this to me, if I'm nibbling on something I like, she said, you're going to spoil your dinner. I have never spoiled my dinner. That's an impossibility. And he said, when you get a taste of this, listen, It will ignite within you an intense craving. If you ever get it down in your gut and get it yourself, it will, whoo, man, something about it. And you know what? It's like what David, uh, pardon me. Yeah, I think David wrote this one, Psalm 34, uh, 8. He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. And so people, listen, it's a lifestyle of relational integrity that honors God. It's a lifestyle of spiritual growth and maturity. And listen, it does not just happen. Spiritual maturity doesn't just happen. Are you with me? Little Mabry's going to be here in a month or less and her growth won't just happen. It takes mama and then before long it'll be shoveling that gooey stuff in her mouth. I mean, it doesn't... And then she grows and then she she grows and then before long she wants uh, gummy worms from Papa. That'll help you grow really good, by the way. When they go through Papa, they become healthy and whole. It doesn't just happen. And I ask people this, uh, what's your spiritual growth plan? Well, I got a financial plan. Now, I'm not talking about your financial plan. What's your plans for, well, I want to, you know, grow up and get married and have three kids and have a two-car garage and, you know, and life is good. No, no, no. What's your spiritual growth plan? What's your strategy for growing spiritually? Because it doesn't just happen. It's got to become our lifestyle. You know, this morning every once in a while, you know, I've been doing this for a while now. Most of the time, when I wake up in the mornings, unless I've had enchiladas the night before, I wake up in an attitude of prayer and worship to God. Most of the time. It's becoming my lifestyle. And and now, and and you know, I've got. You know, every morning, I'm just feeding on the Word of God. It's my lifestyle. Amen? It's a lifestyle of spiritual growth and maturity. Number three, a lifestyle, and I kind of hit on this earlier. I'll move a little quicker. Uh, a lifestyle of intention of an intentional worshiper. Everybody say an intentional worshiper. That word intentional has been used everywhere now, but I love it. It means on purpose. Somebody say on purpose. I'm intentional about this. not accidental. Not, hey, not, uh, sporadic, not temporary, not, uh, reactionary. There's a lot of reactionary worshipers. You ever known a reactionary? You've probably done it. Something unexpected happened that you like. That, you know, you got a check in the mail, something unexpected. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Woohoohoo. Hallelujah. Nothing wrong with that. Right? But that's reactionary worship. It's reacting to a circumstance. Now, conversely, when something bad happens to you, Paul, you know what James said? Count it all joy. Hallelujah. Going with the testing of your faith. And so we see, worshiper, if you're going to live a lifestyle that honors God, you got to be intentional about it. And quickly, verse four and five, I already read it, but I, uh, you know, it says, coming to him. That's intentional. That's on purpose. I'm, he- I'm coming to him to worship. Oh, may it be that every morning you wake, try it in the morning. When you get up in the morning, go, Oop. you know, I think Pastor Sam's probably up. He's already started worshiping the Lord. I don't know when you get up. Uh, I get up whenever my body wakes me up. Uh, which is probably about 6.15, 6.30. Jim's still on the 4.30 calendar, aren't you? It's getting a little later. He's retired. And so when I get up, I, you know, the best part of waking up, you know what the best part of waking up? Soldiers in your cup. I already have that going. So, man, I just worship in the Lord and I'm just, I, I'm, I'm coming to him. It's intentional. Okay, and it can become a lifestyle, but you've got to be intentional about it. You can't be accidental. You can't accidentally stumble into the presence of God and go, oh, wow, hallelujah. you got to be intentional about it. And that's a life that honors God. That's what he's talking about in verse two, uh, 9 where it says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people, that you should show forth or proclaim the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've got to be an intentional worshiper that honors God. Not accidental or reactionary or sporadic, but a lifestyle of worship. Are you with me? Say amen. And then number four, the the God-honoring life in chapter two is a lifestyle of moral integrity. Look at verse 11 and 12. We read it as our keynote verse, but look what he said. Now, this is a little different angle than verse one. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from what? Fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. Did you know there's a battle for your mind, will, and emotions? It's the it's the lust of our flesh, the desires for other things. And he said, "Listen, in this journey, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul." Listen, the things we battle in our flesh—you need to understand this about them. They're out to steal, kill, and destroy. They're out to get your brain, get your get your future, your mind, your will, and your emotions, and and defeat you as a as an enemy would defeat his foe to the point that you are no longer progressing forward that you are stuck in your sins and you can't seem to get out and so Peter comes along and he says listen, you've got to to, uh, abstain everybody say abstain That, that doesn't mean dabble that doesn't mean just a little bit it means no more I'm not doing that anymore abstain from fleshly lust now just got some cross references Galatians 5 for some of you that need to look this up Galatians 5 talks about walking in the spirit walking in the flesh the the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit uh and if if you walk in the flesh you'll not uh uh you you're, you're going to be under the governance of the flesh but if you walk in the spirit you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh It's a lifestyle of moral integrity. You know the best way to get the the victory over a lust of the flesh? Anybody want to know? The Word of God, absolutely. Hey, here's the best way to get the victory before it's slapping you in the face. If Bluebell... Well, it's hard to be tempted with Bluebell today. You know, it's not here anymore. I've changed my illustration. But if ice cream's your issue... Don't go staring at the ice cream freezer going, I resist you in the name of the Lord. You ice cream demon. No, you don't do that there. You resist it before you ever get there. I'm not going down that aisle. In fact, I'll send ambassadors to go by, whatever, I'm not going down that aisle. I'm binding that ice cream demon before I ever get to the store. You understand what I'm saying? I don't think there's ice cream demons. I'm just playing. Okay. So, you and you get full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you don't want to hang around the turkeys, or are you if you if you want to fly with the eagles, so with the eagles don't hang around the turkeys, you're going to drag you into the pen. Are you with me? Amen. It's a lifestyle of moral integrity. Uh, and, and it says it wages war. Listen, it, par- it has a paralyzing effect on your progress. Fleshly lusts stifle progress. If you want to keep moving forward, you can't, you can't yield to the governance of the flesh. You got to walk in the spirit. Amen. Let me look at my clock. Here we go. I'm about done. Uh, and then number five. And this is a biggie. I kind of hate to hit this in in five minutes, uh, but it's the it's a lifestyle of submission to authority. Follow me. What's the first sin to ever be recorded in Scripture? Rebellion against authority, and it happened before Earth ever was. When when Satan Lucifer who the Scripture says was a angel of light. Most people believe when you study him, he was actually potentially one of the leaders of worship, his very body. This will be an interesting study. This kind of freak you out a little bit. His very body had instruments built into it. His body was, a, uh, was an instrument of worship, and, and at some point uh, he rebelled, and he said, I want to be like God. And he rebelled against authority. And from that day until now, humanity has had an issue with authority. And the progress of life requires us from this life to that life that we yield to the authorities of God in our life and be submitted. Everybody say submitted. Oh, that word submission, that's a scary word. It's scawy. Ladies, doesn't it just scare you when it says, uh, Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Oh, I don't know about that. If he give me something to submit to, I might. Children, obey your parents. Not now. What is that? It's our sin nature talking. But, hey, let me show you this. It's everywhere throughout this book. Look in verse 13. Therefore. Oh, there's another one. I guess you guys are going to have to look back therefore and see what the therefore is there for. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Now. In fact, he said, honor the king. I'm just going to try. Oh, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only in the good and gentle, but also in the harsh. Look down in verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls, the authority in your life. And oh, look here. Ladies, Peter got a hold of it too. Peter and Paul must have found some unsubmitted women in their world. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, and so we see this scattered throughout all this book. In fact, look over, gosh, look over in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this, uh, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed shepherd the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion or will but willingly not as not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of the glory that does not fade away. He's talking about spiritual authorities there, but look in verse five. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. And yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. Now, Let me make a a couple of statements and then I'm going to read a couple more verses because this is just, this is a huge topic and maybe these statements can help you. Number one, submission is an attitude of the heart. It's not an action, but an attitude that results in an action. It's hard to submit if you're not submitted in your heart. I've told this illustration a hundred and one thousand times, but it's a great one here. Back before the seatbelt laws, uh, even maybe when there was seatbelts, but you know, but but maybe they weren't. I don't know. The little kid standing up in the back seat, and Daddy says, "Sit down, uh-uh. sit down, and buckle up." Uh-uh. Daddy pulls over and turns around and says. I said, sit down and buckle up right now or I will get my belt. Little boy sits down and buckles up. He said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (coughs) See, it's got to be the other way around. Submission is an attitude of the heart, and we see Paul. Pardon me, I keep getting. I keep wanting to call Peter Paul. Um, it'd be bad if I get him to call him Mary, but I won't do that. Peter, he hammers this idea that in this journey through life, one of the biggies that you and I better get a hold of is a submission to the authorities of God in our life. A heart that yields itself. In fact, if we had time, we'd go back to Jesus. He he yielded himself. He submitted himself. Now, let me just give you a little balance here for all you that are scared of the word submission. Submission is absolute. Obedience, however, is relative. Everyone say that. Submission is absolute obedience is relative how many of you wives know you can be absolutely submitted to your husband in your heart but if he tells you let's go rob a bank tomorrow and take the money and, and fly to uh, Las Vegas and gamble it all away you could say honey I love you I'm submitted to you but I'm not gonna do that because that goes contrary to God's word in our life right now so you need to understand that in every... You can be absolutely submitted, but your obedience is relative. Acts 4 shows this. You don't need to go there. I'm going to, I'm going to finish quick. Acts 4. They commanded that Peter... Peter was there, by the way, and commanded him, Don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus ever again. Don't do it. Stop it. We command you. Those were authorities speaking into the life but in that case there was a higher authority it was the word of God and they said you know whether it's right or wrong for us to speak uh, in the name of the Lord you can be the judge but as for us we can't help but share and speak the things we've seen and heard now that sounds just like what I just read to you they were submitted to the best of their ability to the authorities whether it's right or wrong you're the judge but in this case, we just can't help it. We've got to obey God and not man. Now, that is not a license to disobey authority. If you get stopped by the police officer and he kicked the dog and cussed his wife and slapped his kids before he came and you knew it and he had a badge on it, did you know what? He's still God's authority in your life. Because he's got the badge. Are you with me? And so you can't say, I know who you are. You kicked the dog, cussed your wife, and slapped the kids before you left the house today. I'm not pulling over for you. I'm not showing you my life. How many of you know his authority could be made manifest in your life quicker than you know? Are you with me? Look in First Peter chapter 5. Oh, I already read that one. Submit yourself, Let your younger submit yourselves to your older and be clothed in humility. Uh, gosh, just quickly, uh, turn over to Romans 13. Show a little. Romans 13. And I'm going to preface this. How many of you know Rome was not a democracy? I wish we had time to talk to you about Rome. Rome was just, it was a, it was, it was not a demo, you didn't have a vote. When they could kill Christians at will, you didn't have a vote. It was not a pleasant governmental, it was, it was ruler and, and totalitarian and it was bad. And look what Paul, who yielded, who, who, who faced the Roman government, look what he said, let every soul, Look in verse 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, I could keep going there, but I'll stop. Of course, Ephesians 5. Wives submit... Well, before it says that, be submitted to one another, and the wives submit yourselves to your husbands. Then it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, that you may live a long time on the earth. Now, listen carefully. Rebellion to authority is what got us in this... I mean, that's the beginning of it all. And that rebellion to authority came into the life of Adam and Eve and convinced them to not believe. Now, follow me, not believe what God said and believe what the rebel said. Now, let me tell you something. There's a rebel in all of us. And the chief rebel, the devil, will adhe- well, he will... He will appeal to the rebel in all of us. And that's why we've got to crucify that rebellion in our life. Uh, in fact, one passage says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Who. And so, I'm going to close with my father's life lesson to me concerning this. When I was probably a freshman in high school, I don't think I was junior. I might have been junior high. I'd have to go back and see. My English teacher's name was Ms. Pruitt. Now, when you got Pruitt, I don't know if you got Pruitt. It just seems prunish to me. Pruitt, she was, she was a prude. And she was not a great teacher. Now, in hindsight, she was not a great teacher. She did not know really, now hindsight, didn't know what she was doing. But you know what she was? She was an authority in my life. And my father, who was not the most spiritual fellow, had some great spiritual truth in, in his life. And one day, my friend Robert Stinnett brought a rubber band to class that was about this wide and about that big. I mean, it was huge. I'd never seen such a rubber band in all my life. You know, in my days, rubber bands were an evil thing. I don't know what it, you know, we just shot them, you know. Well, and the kids would shoot the rubber bands. You ever shoot a rubber band? That was big sin in school. Don't shoot rubber bands in school. Well, well, Robert showed me this rubber band and I'm looking at it going, whoa. And I turned around and I did not shoot the rubber band. I just pitched it to his desk, which was probably from me to the second row. And Miss Pruitt caught it out of the side of her eye and she said, Sam Walker, Come here to me. She said, I want you to write me fifty sentences that says I will not shoot rubber bands in class. I said, Miss Pruitt, I didn't shoot the rubber band. I just pitched it. I said, write me 50 sentences. I said, I didn't I'm trying to be nice. I didn't shoot the rubber band, I pitched it. And she said, write me the sentences. So the next day, she asked for the sentences. I said, I didn't write the sentences. And she said, now it's a 100. Write me 100 sentences that says I will not shoot rubber bands with clay. And so every day, it doubled. And because I knew I was right, I did not obey her. By the time my daddy found out, we were in the thousands of sentences. And when my daddy found out, two things happened. One thing I didn't realize, he made Miss Pruitt give me a whippet because he didn't like sentences. But he told her, he said, if my son messes up, you bust his you-know-what. She said, and she did, and it was pretty pathetic. But then I got home, and my dad gets his belt. And I said, But dad, I didn't shoot rubber bands in class. And he looked at me like God Himself. He said, Son, I'm not spanking you or whipping you because you shot or did not shoot rubber bands in class. I'm whipping you because you did not obey your teacher. That's why I'm punishing you tonight, Buddy, he did. And I realize my dad knows something about authority. You do not disrespect authority. Don't rebel against the thought. There's a principle here that if we do, guess what? We become nomadic in our own right because uh, how many of you know God resists the rebellious and the proud? But he gives grace to the humble and the yielded. And so that's a, that's, that's a lifestyle of submission that we've got to embrace in our life. I'll never forget this. I learned this years ago, and I'm going to close, about respecting authority. Even if you didn't agree with authority or even like authority, there's a thing that comes along with respecting authority. And me and a friend of mine went to the, uh, in Dallas at Reunion Arena, we went to the national uh, prayer breakfast, and President Ronald Reagan was the keynote speaker. And we got pretty good seats down what you'd call the, I mean, I'm kind of looking sideways to the podium and I'm excited about seeing the president and all the major news media were down there on the floor and we're up here. And when hail to the chief came up, bomb, I can't even do it. I can't, you know, everyone, it was packed out. Everyone in the room stood to attention as the president of the United States came into the room except from my perspective, one person. I looked down, and Sam Donaldson refused to stand up and was reading the paper. I wanted to jump over. the, You know, I'm sure that would have created a stir. And jerk him up by the nap of his neck and say, I don't care if you hate the man. You respect his office. Get up from there. I didn't. I mean, but one guy out of however many thousand were there, and that's a man who does not understand one iota about authority. It's a big lesson in life. And listen, if our kids have issues, it's probably because they got them from mom and daddy. Listen, we all have them. But we got to crucify that stuff in our life and live a lifestyle that honors God in this journey. Amen? Let's stand up together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for this book. Thank you for Chapter 2 that challenges us to live a life that would honor you and bring glory to you. Help us, Lord, live that life. Give us your grace and strength today. Lord, to live a lifestyle of relational integrity, moral integrity. Live a life of submission to authority. Have a submitted heart. Lord, we thank you for these lifestyle lessons. Let us embrace them in our life. And let's, let us use them this week in a greater measure than ever before and appropriate them in our life. Lord, we put aside those things that drag us down. We lay them down. We abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against our soul. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Do me a big favor now before uh, next week. Here's what I need you to do. Uh, I need you to bring somebody to church, okay? Invite somebody to church. Get somebody here that's not, uh, maybe not a normal church attender. Bring a friend or a family member. Find somebody at Beaumont, jo- Beaumont Bone and Joint like Beverly did with Ben. Hey, wherever you are, be a light, be a witness, uh, and let's fill the house this coming Sunday. Amen? God bless you. Love somebody, and we'll see you Sunday morning.